What does the healing journey look like to you? Finding resilience against self-doubt and negativity are the building blocks for the ideal foundation. In business, it is hard to separate yourself from the what-ifs and thoughts of failure as you navigate your way through starting your company. However, you can decide that you are worthy to take up space and allow yourself to love yourself along the way. Your mindset matters and affects each piece of your life. I'm Dr. Jessica Metcalf, and this is Speak Kindly, You're Listening. Don't forget to check out the book with the same name that inspired it all out on Amazon and is now a bestseller. With me today is Jen Harper, an award-winning social entrepreneur. Jen Harper is the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty Cosmetics, Inc. Cheekbone Beauty aims to help every Indigenous person see and feel their value in the world while developing sustainable color cosmetics that won't end up in a landfill. And she's in Sephora. On today's episode, Jen takes us through how there is room at the table for all our voices to be heard, how to take moments being quiet while in the midst of chaos, and that transforming ourselves doesn't always look as pretty in real life as compared to social media. Here we go. I am so excited to have Jen Harper with me here today to be able to talk about her journey with cheekbone beauty and to be able to tell us a little bit more about that inner voice. So we all have that inner gremlin at times that pops up and I followed your story right back from 2017 and then even getting in front of Dragon's Den as well. And what was it like shifting in and creating a beauty company right from scratch? Yeah, I know you know the story, but just for the sake of maybe your audience, it's I have no experience in the beauty industry. I was actually selling seafood at the time when I started Cheekbone, and it literally came from an actual pop out of bed, middle of the night dream. But I think the real part of the backstory, I think that the only reason this exists is because of my sobriety and me taking this healing time to really figure out who I was and where I came from and to remove so much of the shame that was like bundled up in that baggage of my past. And, you know, I had this really estranged relationship from my father, which then included almost all of my Ojibwe family, right? Just because I wasn't talking to my dad, I felt like I was, I had to sort of eliminate and cut everyone out, Um, which looking in hindsight is like, wasn't the right thing to do, but I was young and I didn't know how, I didn't know how I didn't have any teachers or I never went to therapy in my younger years or knew anything about what healing looked like or what that meant. And so just at the age of 19, I really just ended that relationship with my father and then didn't restart it until I was almost in my forties, which is crazy. But the sobriety journey is really what I think led me down to this path of figuring out who I was and where I come from. And then in the middle of all of this, have this dream where these native little girls were covered in lip gloss. I woke up that night and I was literally like, okay, it was so real to me. Like that was the next thing that I was going to do in my life, which is kind of crazy when, when I really think about it. I I don't think about it too deeply too often because I'm like, this is just nuts. Like who would do that? Start thinking about how, and you're going to make a lip gloss and wanted to start a foundation in my grandmother's name that I was learning that she was a residential school survivor along with my grandfather and just got all of these 
moments of clarity and true understanding. And because I was sober, you can imagine how clear I felt, even just even like removing a fog from my own head and then learning these things about my family and really understood this term called generational or transgenerational trauma. And so I really gave myself grace at that point, recognizing that my addiction it wasn't my fault, right? Like this was not even our family's fault. The the residential school, I really blame for all of the trauma that exists in many of our communities still to this day. However, you can ask anyone that knows me, I have no time for excuses anymore. I believe that once we become adults, we then become responsible for ourselves, but that's not easy for everyone. And I really recognize that. And I recognize that everyone's journey is different, you know, and I look back over my life and just meeting people and myself doing it. That's, I think that's what angers me the most is I know I was one of those people and I have a hard time with always the person who it's always someone else's fault. Mm. Right. And they're like just living in resentment, but I was there. I was that person. And maybe that's why it makes me so angry that, you know, I just, I don't want anything to do with that Jennifer that did that anymore. And so of course in sobriety, what gets to happen is I got to transform who I was. And I, I've called it in the past, like a teardown. I literally got to like my bones and rebuilt myself and the kind of person that I admired in the world. That's what I wanted to be. And I realized this is a moment that in, if there's any time in your life when I could do that, this, this would be at that time. And, and that's what I set out to do. And it's not easy. It's every day. It's a process. I have to work on it every single day. That's what I was going to ask because when we see these moments or even on social media when it promotes that transformational change or making that personal development change and stuff, we automatically assume or we see the before and afters, especially when we can see it from a physical standpoint. So let's say you're working out for 90 days and you do a hit program or whatever and you have that before and after photo and you're like, okay, I got it in 90 days. But it doesn't take 90 days. It takes a significant amount of time because there's always going to be those moments that come up. So when it went from that dream to then taking that initial step to say, okay, I'm going to start with lip glosses. Where do I even start? What was that like for you? Yeah, you know, just thankfully we have the it, we live in a time period where I think the access to information and how to figure things out became like if it was generations ago I, I certainly don't think it would have been as easy as it has felt in understanding how you could literally bring a product into market or into this, into the world and and it really wasn't that difficult in the sense that there's many manufacturers out there that will put your logo on something and here's what I've like learned in this period the brand that we have now, I could have not afford. I personally couldn't have afforded that. I didn't know anything about the space. So Sue, even who we are as a brand has transformed along the way and like has grown with me, which is really, I have to say kudos to our loyal audience because we've literally even changed who who and how the brand operates in the world from the moment we launched Cheekbone Beauty back in 2016 to where we are now. I had to use what they call white private label. So I was working with manufacturers that make makeup and have been doing that for a long time. And then now I'm in the industry. So then I'm I would start asking questions about packaging and products and raw ingredients and sourcing and all these things, ethical means of production and you know, could not get any answers. And that's when sort of for me, something clicked where I was like, okay, this is technically not the product that I would 
put into the world or want to. But I knew that from the beginning as well, because it's what can you afford? And, you know, anyone that's launched any sort of product-based business will really understand it's really expensive. And then to go down on this sustainability journey and try to do things, what we say is cleaner and greener, really even more costly and time-consuming. But that's something that I became passionate about along the way. And I was, I really like that I can share this with people that I, I wasn't, I think, stuck in that idea. I couldn't put anything out there unless it was perfect either. Like I was like, okay, let's just try and see what happens. And I worked with what I had. And that's what I really love about our brand story from the beginning. I was like, okay, this is how much money I have. This is all I can do, but I'm going to try it anyway. And I think I've always sat in this space mentally of if this fails, it doesn't mean I fail as a person because I'm always thinking about it like, well, at least we tried. Like I want to just show, especially for me, it's near and dear to my heart that our next generation of Indigenous entrepreneurs, the youth, whatever, creatives, makers in any shape or form, just see that like sometimes it's just the trying, right? Like that, like, let's just see what happens if we go out and do this and how, like, these are our intentions and this is what we want to happen, but really understanding and like trying to separate yourself from, because Cheekbone it's, it's, is its own entity now. Although people will meet me in public and be like, you're Cheekbone Beauty. In my head, I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm actually Jen Harper, but yeah, I, I know what they mean, right? Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I love that, of course course, because uh, that's, I am part of the brand, but it's not all me now. It's its own. And even, this is the funniest part when you get like maybe a, a hate comment or a hate email or something. And you're like, well, who are you really mad at here? Cause like, they're, <laughs> they're like, you can tell it's like, they're they're. I think they think they're mad at me. And I'm just like, well, cheekbone is its own thing. It's not like there's, there's a whole bunch of us surrounding this, this entity now and make up what it's doing and what it's putting out into the world. So um, just really realizing that I am separate from it. And I'm going to keep working my butt off to try to make this the most successful uh, beauty brand um, in, you know, I always say in the world because I'm super dramatic and I want to, I talk to our youth about being bold and being brave enough to like, just say, you're going to make the biggest thing and and try to do it. Right. Um, And understanding that that might not happen, but it's the what if. Like who knows what will happen if you just keep mm-hmm. trying and and realizing that you're not the failure if something doesn't work. And that's hard to do because humans, we get, it's like when you do have a company or a business or an idea that you're putting into the world, it is part of you, but you got to, I think in order to, to be thick skinned in this space and resilient, you got to separate yourself from it, that it, you're not all of it. Right. And, and it's not, so you wouldn't hold all that if something did go wrong. It's really hard at times to create that separation, especially when we're putting ourselves out there, maybe for the first time or in being brave and maybe something has failed in the past or didn't go the way that you wanted. And so were there moments in time with your inner gremlin voice? Because it sounds like you have a lot of clarity around how to be gritty and resilience and that takes time to be able to build. So take me back to time when that inner gremlin felt like it was, or maybe there's even moments now when it comes up still where it's really loud. And what is it saying to you during those moments in time? Yeah, so it still does. And if I'm being truly honest and transparent, just this getting this shelf space now in more Sephora's with more items. Even I remember the week before launching actually in Sephora and we were just launching technically on their e-commerce space, which is 
I'm not going to say it's easy, but that's easy to launch a brand in somebody else's e-commerce. It's not as hard as actually getting shelf space, right? And so back then I was just like, you just, I get this sense of, you know, it's really, and it's really strange and funny because Sephora's tagline is like, we belong to something beautiful. Like belonging is very important to them as an organization. And I get that that's what they're putting into the world. But I can tell you because of my past and my family's past and my personal ways I used to view myself and who I was in the world, belonging is really, really difficult. And so I was like, do I feel like, I felt like I, Jen Harper doesn't belong there, but I, again, that can work to my benefit sometimes that I separate. I'm like cheekbone does belong there. And I have to keep repeating that to myself. But then I'm, you know, when I'm in therapy and working on me, yes, Jen Harper does belong there too. And I have to recognize that, but that's the hard part. And I think no matter how successful the brand has gotten, I still feel inadequate. I don't have the experience. I'm not qualified. I don't have all the things that a traditional like business women executive would have, but I've learned to say, nor does a lot of people that have done this before me and not specifically, we don't have a lot of indigenous examples, which is really awful sometimes when I think about it, but there's incredible women in business that have showed me they don't have all of the you know, the things we think we need, which is just, again, a story that's put out into the world or the ethos that in business, we need all these things, which in fact is proven not to be true. And so it's just stopping and breathing and recognizing that, yeah, that's how I'm feeling, but it's not true. It's a story that I'm making up. And again, that gremlin, it's I stop, breathe, no, this is a story I'm making up. And you just, I'm like, repeat that a lot. And it just happened again a couple of weeks ago when we got, or I think it's last week, time just moves so quickly. But (laughs) being on that shelf in Sephora, it's like, oh my goodness, like I still don't feel like we belong, right? And the systems are at play. Maybe it's intended that I don't feel like I belong, but I think it's just talking myself through these things sometimes. And then that's where I'm like, well, damn it, I'm going to make sure we belong. And if they don't let cheekbone belong right now, in my head, at least I've tried. And at least I've started carving a path for the next person that comes along that's Indigenous and starts a company and is in the beauty space. There's not a lot of room here. Like all business, it's very competitive. We talk about this as women in business. Oh, there's room for everyone. The reality is when you start working with organizations like Sephora, there is not enough room for everyone. There is just absolutely not. And so I don't believe the hype when people are like, yeah, there, there is in the world. Yes, there's enough room for all of us in different spaces. But to recognize, okay, literally square footage, inch <laughs> by inch. No, there is not enough room on Sephora shelves right. for every and all brands. But there certainly should be enough room to have Indigenous brands there as well as all kinds of cultures where all people feel like they belong in all kinds of groups and organ- um, any of us need to feel like we belong in, in these beauty spaces. And I mean, this is what my mission is as the brand founder is to make sure that that happens. And if it's not cheekbone, then certainly have we made space so that other Indigenous brands can come and be there too. Because it's never been about winning for me, although I'm always honest with everyone, I'm super competitive and I want to win at things just like I think the next person does, but at least we're making the way, you know, it's like bit by bit and just really removing myself from it, that it's really about the brand and the people, like in the people being 
our next generations that need to see themselves because that's what this has been all about from the beginning. And I'm really proud that we've stayed so true to that mission and getting messages from Indigenous youth and Indigenous women in business and Indigenous people in general. I had the most amazing conversation with an Indigenous man in business who I said, I'm so like, I feel bad. I don't think about him, that sort of avatar all the time. Like in my head, it's always the youth. And then of course, women, because I'm in Indigenous business women's circles and then women in general too, because, you know, as an entire gender, we've been left out of so many things for sure. But I was like, yeah, like he was inspired by the work we've done and the brand we've built. And just hearing him say that, I was like, oh, wow. Well, yeah, there's, you know, and I have nephews as well, like not just nieces, right? So there's so many people that I know are brands inspiring and that's what we're here for. Do you think that being of Indigenous roots and it being very small or having a small representation within Sephora or within certain business areas that, because you are definitely a competitor. I can totally see that, how you're describing yourself. Do you find that that puts an enormous amount of pressure on yourself because it's not just you trying to make moves or open doors for yourself and Cheekbone, but you're trying to open up many doors for everyone else to come after you as well? Yeah. And then I have to, like again, breathe. And realize, okay, there's lots of other people doing this too. So I'm not alone. I feel, I Mm. I definitely feel that. But yeah, there is certainly that weight that I feel very responsible. And you get messages of like, you're the first one that's in Sephora, right? Like that is huge and also a big responsibility at the same time. Mm. And it's how we are working. Like not only is it for this representation, but how we navigate working with this massive corporation, right? Mm-hmm. So that it doesn't impede the growth of anyone that would come behind us, you know? And that's where strength, to me, the greatest strength I admire in any human being is humility and the ability not to say the thing sometimes that you want to say, recognizing how that could actually impact our next generations, right? There is times and place for everything. I believe that fully, but I believe there is a time too to be quiet because you wouldn't want to ruin the opportunity for somebody else, mm. right? And it's not always easy, for sure. As humans, we love, we react very quickly. And and the things that are potentially maybe hurting us or our business is what we want to talk about. But then pausing and really recognizing, you know, there's strength in not saying this and trying to, you know, really decipher, okay, what are they trying to say? What is their motive? What is the intention, right? Just so, because we can slip up and say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But I think listening more than we speak sometimes is really important. I love that. I think for women in particular, this is something that I've even sat and watched other leaders and step into. And women almost feel like they have to over-justify at times. So instead of just saying what they need to, then there's an explanation that has to follow because they feel like they need to give more information to either clarify or to confirm that they should in fact be at that table or at that meeting or whatever that looks like. And so it is hard to be able to sit in that quiet, even when your thoughts are racing a million times a minute. How do you do that to yourself or how do you teach that to others to say, hey, take a moment to observe? Yeah. 
I don't know. I feel like examples always the best. And I have some great examples in my life. Like my mom has always been such a good example of not only work ethic and hard work, but like just those teaching me sometimes that I don't always have to be right or say the thing that, you know, and those are hard teach. I'm a parent as well of young adults and it's something you try to teach them. But I think example, I've always learned the best by, I've never learned when, when someone is like, this is how you have to do it. So I think just like paying attention to the people that are successful and really, I think trying to say, okay, what character traits do they have and how did they get like that? And yeah. And that's, that requires pausing on all of our parts. But when you're young, it's so funny. I'm, I feel I'm very much um, an elder now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, don't 40, think, yeah, I don't think you are. Yeah, I'm 46. <laughs> yeah. But I feel, you feel like you've learned so much. Like in your 20s, you want to say everything and get in that last word and being mm. right was so important. Yeah. And then in your 30s, you start to really recognize that no, that doesn't sometimes, you know, it's what is there's a saying, and I'm I'm you can tell I'm older because I always mess them up, but it's like you don't need to win every battle. Like the war is the bigger, the bigger picture, right? And so winning every battle doesn't always matter. It's like the big picture war, I think. I don't know. I've I've messed it up completely, but that's the the sense of it is like those little battles, you don't have to fight everyone. Right. And that for like the greater good, sometimes being silent is okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know how to teach that except by that. I've learned this by paying attention to other women that I find to be very successful and I admire. I want to relate that to our inner gremlin at times, because that is such a great way to be able to see from a bird's eye view. Because I think when we start to speak unkind or hurtful words to ourselves, it's really easy to be in that one specific moment and then that is it. And even if our inner gremlin wins that one battle, that one day because you had a really bad sleep and everything else kind of dominoed effect afterwards, it doesn't mean that that is the entire experience or that is the war in and of itself because there are there is the bigger picture that we have to give ourselves the opportunity. So when you hear that inner gremlin and you're starting to make that change or you actually can hear what you're saying in that moment, you're like, okay, no, I get to change that. What does your inner cheerleader, your inner wise one or whomever that other next voice is, what are they saying to you at that point in time? I think because I have a daughter, it's more powerful to me. The message mm. is like, would I want anyone to speak to her that way? Right. Mm. And if you yeah. kids in general, right? Like, would you want anyone to speak to your kids that way? Why are we speaking to ourselves that way? And then something I like was a huge Brene Brown student or fan for many early years of my healing journey. When she talks about how much love we can extend to our children is based on the amount of love we have for ourselves. Whereas in the, you technically, you can if you don't actually love yourself, how are you supposed to show anyone else that you love them? And as a recovered alcoholic, that became so true because the example she used when she was speaking about this is an addict, right? They can say they love their children, but clearly they're only extending the love of their children to as much as they love themselves because they're still choosing to abuse their whatever addiction of choice that is, right? And it's because they don't love themselves. And so when I start saying negative things in my own head, 
it's it really, I relate it back to like, I wouldn't, I need to continue to show my children how much I love them. So I need to love myself and I wouldn't want anyone to talk to my kids that way. So why would I talk to myself that way? Mm. Going back to generational trauma, because I think that that is something that not a lot of people recognize. And then they still say those hurtful things to themselves, not realizing that, okay, well, the love of the parents, they only could love themselves so much. And this is what I ended up receiving. But I have the option to be able to make that change as well. So talk to me about how from residential school with your grandparents to your parents to you now being a parent, what have you seen from previous generations to where you are now? And how has that voice changed? Yeah. So really like both my father's Ojibwe, my mother's like fourth generation, like Irish, Scottish, Canadian. And there was a trauma in her life as well. And so I realized both of my parents had this trauma, but I, what I recognized that they were missing was this being, not only are you surrounded by a form of abuse, whatever that is, violence, sexual addictions from parents, you're also missing the portion where a parent is telling you they love you and that what you could be capable of, um, that nurturing, right? That that sort of fostering a loving feeling that is supposed to be found in our homes and that's supposed to come from our parents. And so with trauma, that is missing. And so because my dad left when I was quite young, my parents separated, I didn't get... I think those feelings from my dad, because he was never raised in a home like that. But my mom sort of took it on that regardless of the kind of home she was raised in, telling her children how much she loved them and how amazing they were. She jokes now because she says we're all overly confident. <laughs> and, and I said that's actually all your fault because the three of us that were my two brothers that were raised with her, my half brothers in that home, it is true. We're like, we have this unique kind of confidence about all of us in different ways, but it's from her just that reassurance of love, like no matter, and, you know, didn't have a perfect childhood, right? My father left, I had a step, like, but she is just constantly that knowing that you are loved, I think is, is critical and that you have like those loving feelings in your home, despite, you know, trauma have happened in the past or still ongoing. I think it's really important that parents talk about love and I've heard other First Nations families say this as well, that that is, was missing. And a lot of us parents have done, tried to do it differently to make sure that our kids, it's voiced how much we love them. And even now when I see my dad, like saying it is really important to me. Uh, it would took a long time and it was really hard, but years of therapy. And I, I said, resenting both my parents for much of my twenties and into my thirties is what caused I believe this addiction to go on longer than it needed to. But now, you know, after healing and just recognizing they just did the best they could with what they had. And the moment I said that out loud and real, and I think it was like 38 or nine when that happened, but just really like it let go of all of the resentment and it was gone and it took a long time. And so when I talk to young people now, I'm just, I'm in awe of the younger ones that are figuring this out so much younger because they'll save themselves a lifetime of pain because resentment is really awful and poisonous and can impact our lives in so many negative ways. I was just such an angry, hurtful person for a big portion of my life and you can't have that back and there's consequences. And so 
but I'm glad that I feel that I've outgrown that and I get to live the life that I'm really wanted to create after recovery now, which is just having joy and happiness and feeling all the feelings all the time, good and bad. Right. And I'm like, wow, I get to like, I'm just amazed at how many people are, don't want to live life, you know? And of, of course this is probably such a sober person thing to say, but just like, I'm like, get to feel all the feelings. And I know that's why many of us, that's why I numbed for many years because I didn't want to do that. But when you get to, I don't know, it's kind of undescribable. I, I can really geek out on just like getting high on actual life things now. Right. Like, yeah. Anyway, it's super cool life. I highly recommend it, but I also don't vilify, you know, alcohol and, and it has its place. And for, for certain people, just not for me. That is such an incredible journey because I know, so having worked in the cancer field for a very long time, I've sat and had those conversations with a lot of my patients where they get to a point in their life and they're, they look back and they're like, I can't believe I'm here. And like, I can't believe I wasted certain moments in time and what that looks like and stuff. And so I think the more that we offer these opportunities to share, recognizing that life is hard. And yeah, okay, there were moments in time because I have them too, where I look back at myself and I was like, what was I thinking? And it was a way that I protected myself during that point in time. But now looking back, it's like, I don't want to be that person anymore because I'm at a very different space now moving forward. So for the person who maybe at that point in life when they feel like everything standing in front of them is just against them or they just don't see a way out because I feel like a lot of one of the reasons why we can step into addiction is because there's just no more hope anymore. And so for that person who is listening, who is stuck right in the middle of that and all they see is darkness around them, what would be something that you would say to them, you being their inner cheerleader, because they can't hear their own inner cheerleader right now? Yeah. It, again, just, uh, they have no idea. It's just like right there. It's just that one choice, that one five second decision not to drink or use that day could be the beginning of the an entirely new life where you constantly living despite life's problems like living in this kind of joy for me has been indescribable I'll celebrate almost 9 years this year and I'm just like it's just unbelievable and it's right there it's just one decision just one decision to put it down and it could change everything and you have no idea of the journey and the joy that are just right around, around that corner. And I know that feeling. And I've been there when you are in the, I used to call it the pit of like darkness, right? And it's grappling from day to day and so painful and feels so hopeless. And I had the most beautiful friend in the world who I knew saw this version of me only after. So it was a year that I was sober and she's like, this is the person I always knew that was there, but she treated me like that even when I was an addict. And that is so powerful because I believe when we can see that part of someone that doesn't yet see it for themselves could be that hand that's going to pull them out of the pit. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Jen, thank you so much for your time. Your words of wisdom are going to touch so many people. So thank you again. Is there anything else that actually, whether it's yourself or Cheekbone Beauty has coming down the pipeline that you would love to share with everyone? I'm like, I don't think so. We're 
having some big launches, the one in Canada and, and then the 600 JC Penny stores in the US right now. So I'm like, I don't know which day it is left <laughs> or right right now. Um, but just, yeah, I'm so grateful for any people that join our cheekbone community of warriors. Cause when I think about life, it's like, yeah, you are a warrior, but it's not like, it doesn't have to be like violent. I'm not like violent mm. warriors, but it's just like stand up and, and figure out what you're existing for and it, your life it can change in a second when you when you just stand up and become a warrior, right? Oh, such a good word because life is hard. There is no oh easy <laughs> there is no easy in life. Life is hard. So it's hard when you're happy and it's hard when you're sad and angry and frustrated too. So bring on the hard and be a warrior. Oh, I love that. The power of living in the joy of her sobriety and her healing journey come through in her words. Jen is a force to be reckoned with and welcomes the heart by being a warrior and breaking down the doors for change. When we share parts of our story that aren't picture perfect, it's no easy feat because we don't know who is on the opposite side listening and judging. But Jen gave us the permission to recognize that no age, stage, or circumstance can hold you back if you decide that you aren't going to allow it you too can break down barriers in your industry and your life. If you need to re-listen to that episode again, actually, re-listen to any of the episodes because there are so many points that hearing them again won't hurt, but in fact solidify when you are questioning your own inner gremlin. Or if re-listening isn't your thing, take a moment of quiet in the midst of chaos. Key takeaways from today. Number one, transformation in real life isn't perfect. It actually never was. Social media and Hollywood has made us believe that we make things perfect or that we can make things perfect or that transformations should look a specific way. It's easy to see a before and after photo and think, well, what the hell is wrong with me? For one thing, those are only snapshots in time, seconds even of when those befores and afters were taken. So you don't see any of the hard work, the tears, the frustration, the joy and everything in between the mountain you had to climb with sandals in the middle of winter. I hope I really painted a picture there for you. And two, not everyone shares their stories openly because those moments can cause extreme pain, discomfort, and embarrassment. Some people hold that closer to themselves until they are ready to share, and some never feel ready. Which means on social media, we are only ever given a piece of the information and not the whole damn story. Don't forget that when you are thinking about when you were moving through your own transformation, Key takeaway number two, transformation is never gentle. It is hard, messy, and unraveling your old self to build a new foundation for the future takes perseverance, patience, and sometimes a whole lot of tissues. When I work with companies and high performers, there's always this resounding comment in the midst of transformation. This is what people say to me. I just wanna go back to what I was before or what the company was before. Most times, people are comparing themselves or the things in front of them to nostalgia or the type of energy they had or only the good moments in past time. But here's the kicker. Being that old you, that old company, got you to that point that you wanted to create a new transformation, which means the old is no longer working for you, which means you don't actually want to go back because that old you is what got you to this point to begin with. Instead, you get to create and transform into a new self, into a new company. One that evaluates all aspects of life and makes sure they are doing what they want to be doing. 
Transformation is hard, but being your old self is just as hard. So choose your hard. Every episode will have a reflection question and this is yours for today. What hard will you choose? When you found your answer, send me a DM on Instagram or an email to info at drjessicametcalf.com. That's info at drjessica, M-E-T-C-A-L-F-E.com. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Speak Kindly, You're Listening. Remember, when you hear your inner gremlin, ask yourself, would I say this to a loved one? And if your answer is no, then it's time for a reframe. Speak kindly, you're listening.